to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. He was preparing a spell to sacrifice my sister and I to the cult. And in that type of sacrifice, it would be a sexual sacrifice or a physical sacrifice. Um, But without fully comprehending that as a little girl, all I knew at that moment was I was scared. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Growing up in a satanic cult, Serena was being abused before she was even five years old. Her father, the leader of the cult, committed all sorts of abuse in the name of ritual and sacrifice. Serena is now able to tell her story with a level of awareness and empathy that is just so impressive. This is part one. Content warning. If you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Serena Maston, welcome to The Deep. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You have a truly unique story. I don't even really know where to begin. Should we start with perhaps the time where you first knew something was different about you or your circumstances as a child? So um, as a child, when you grow up in an environment where there's violence, sexual abuse, drug abuse, um, you don't know any different. You don't realize that it's not normal Mm. until the moment that you're ripped out of that environment, that's when the shock actually sets in. So the shock didn't set in when my father sexually abused me because that's all I knew. Did he start abusing you when you were so young? It wasn't like a change in dynamic of the relationship. Yes. So my biological father, um, He took my virginity before the age of five. Wow. I'm so sorry. Was that a progression? Did he groom you or was it just such a safe environment from the day you were a baby to the day that happened? So he um, was the leader of a satanic cult and the environment that we lived in 
was under constant surveillance in the sense that the cult was constantly following us, recording everything that we did, reporting back to him. So there was no um, shift in grooming or like something that naturally occurred. It was constant survival. He would tell uh, my sister that if she followed through um, with what, you know, the abuse that he wouldn't hurt me. But then he would tell me that if I didn't do it, that he would hurt my mom. So we all thought that we were protecting each other. And he's the leader of this cult. At that time, yes, that was in the 80s. The type of violence that I witnessed as a child was a gun against my mother's head. Um, you know, dishes being thrown across the room. So it wasn't uh, a subtle progression. It was something that was very real and very raw. You were born into this and this was all you knew. So the domestic violence, the physical violence, the, the sexual violence, it was on from the beginning of your life. There was no way, there was no perspective or shift where you could say, oh, that was a really bad thing that happened. It was all bad constantly. So it was your normal. It was my normal. Okay. So I just have like, I I could do a two hour podcast just on the first three paragraphs you've given me. So I need to, (laughs) we have a a lot to cover, but I have a lot of questions. Did your mum know about the child abuse, the sexual child abuse? So my mom was a part of the abuse in the sense that he would um, force her to get involved in bestiality. He would conduct a lot of behavior that put her at a high risk and threat. And so she was in a state of almost... um, just complete withdrawal where she couldn't see what was really happening. Even if it was, even if she was aware of it, it was, it was similar to brainwashing. Mm -hmm. So she was also trapped there with us. So that's the other challenge is that she might've had the awareness, but she couldn't see at that time because it was so, volatile. And she couldn't protect us because everywhere we went, we were followed. And there was only one thing that shifted. One of the cult members that was responsible for um, watching us or watching over us had worked with my mom to get us out. And that's how we got out. Okay. I've got more questions. The... Your mother was also being abused. How did, how did you know it was bestiality? I didn't know, not until years later. And actually, I blocked a lot of it out as a child. 
So there's only bits and pieces that I specifically remember. And I have a copy of the court documents where it's specifically listed. I w- what animal was it? It doesn't say the animal, but I believe it was it was a dog. This person, your biological father, obviously a very unwell human. Cults we know, we've discussed them on this show before. What makes a cult a satanic cult? They believe in the devil. They worship the devil. Can you help me understand what that is? So um, they they believe in the devil, yes. Um, they have very um, specific rituals. So... One of the rituals, to give you an example, was the night before we got out. Um, I was I was five years old. I remember being um, barefoot in the the kitchen and looking up, and he was hovering over the stove with a cauldron and turning the cauldron. And I didn't know what it was at that time. I just didn't understand why he was doing what he was doing. And what I come to find out later is that he was preparing a spell to sacrifice my sister and I to the cult. And in that type of sacrifice, it would be a sexual sacrifice or a physical sacrifice. Um, But without fully comprehending that as a little girl, all I knew at that moment was I was scared. And it wasn't until later that I started to uncover some of these rituals and then connect the dots. So his reasoning for sexually abusing you and your sister was sacrificial? You know, I I can't say what his reasoning was, but I knew that his intention was not only to use us for his gain, but to also allow us to be used within the cult in that way. In the 80s, the sex trafficking word was not invented yet, but that would have been the path if, in fact, um, we didn't get away that, that next morning. It sounds like a horror film. It actually doesn't sound like real life. I know. That there are people that are in a satanic cult, making spells with cauldrons, harming children, bestiality. Like it's the thing of a horror film. Like it, it's so shocking and disturbing. This sexual abuse for you, do you have any? memory or um, have you been told at when it started age-wise for you and your sister? So um, my sister's five years older. So when I was five, she was 10. So she remembers a lot more. The court um, actually prohibited my mother and my sister from sharing any details about what happened 
because I had already blocked out so many of the memories that I had struggled with uh, dissociation. I had struggled with night terrors, um, bedwetting, um, PTSD, depression and anxiety before I was before my sixth birthday. So they were actually prohibited from giving me additional details. And still to this day, I'm, I'm close with my mother, but she respects that boundary because she knows wow. that my memory will come back and I'm ready to deal with it. So I have memories of specific, but I can't remember ages. I can't really, to be honest, remember much of anything until the day that we got out. So I had to go through, obviously, extreme counseling and rehabilitation. And through that, um, I was able to start remembering certain things. Then I did additional research as I got older, which then brought more things to light. But um, no, my sister and my mother um, have not shared with me any specific details. But they also did not know that I was being sexually abused because he idolized me. So they thought that if they were protecting me, that he wouldn't hurt me. So it's also oh a, just a God. very weird um, dynamic of, of just multiple types of brainwashing, manipulation. Yes. Okay. So the abuse is happening. The cult is following you. How many in the cult? Where are you? Where are you located? Are you all living in like a a, a home together? Tell me about the actual detail of the cult. So what's interesting is you really didn't see any members of the cult um, unless they were directly involved. So they seemed like normal, everyday people. Um, We were located in Chino, California at the time in a small mobile home park in a single white trailer. So it wasn't that there was this community. It was literally that they had this religious practice and they followed through and stuck together on that. And they were constantly involved in each other's lives, but there was no, like, I don't remember seeing a group. Like a commune. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. What I do remember is that every time I would go to the kitchen or I would go play in the living room, when I'd pass by the kitchen window, there'd be always a man that would be staring and watching from the outside of the kitchen window. And so honestly, since I was probably a young adult, I could not look at the kitchen window because that same face appeared like in my mind after that, because I felt like he was always watching. Wow. Okay. So we know factually that he took your virginity below the age of five. Yes. At what age were you taken away? So I was taken. I was taken away on my uh, right before my sixth birthday. Okay. So the day that we got out of the cult, 
it was it was chaos, of course. I remember I had um, a sheepdog named Gypsy. And I remember at the time that my mom was rushing. She was screaming. She was rushing. And it was early in the morning. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I wanted to stay with my, my dog at that age, you know, when you're a little girl, right? So I was, I was crying because I was uncertain of why we were rushing away. Um, when we got out of the, the actual single wide trailer, I remember running across a busy height, like a busy street, like where there's multiple lanes and we stood in the center of like an, an island in the center of the street. And I was confused. I didn't understand why all this was, it just felt like so much chaos had happened. We stood in the center island because we had to be in full uh, sight so that if we went into the store, if we went somewhere where we could have been um, positioned to go back, we had to stay in this center island until my grandparents came and picked us up. Then, as soon as we got to their house, my mom called the police. They immediately came, took my sister and I, and my mom had to earn her rights back as a parent because she also had put us in the unsafe environment. And so because of that, even though she was in her own danger, she was still responsible for that. And so we then went directly into witness protection. I was ripped out of my mother's arms the moment. And remember, I'm st I still don't know that's not normal. So I'm just confused as to what is happening. And my sister and I are put into a vehicle, taken directly into the foster system and witness protection. Fuck, it's so complicated, isn't it? It's like, yes, she really, she really did put you in danger, but at the same time, you're her babies. She didn't want you in danger, and then you're taken from her. But at the same time, obviously, she's going to be dealing with her own trauma, her own healing. Is she fit to care for you? Would she go back? Like all of the things. And then you're put into foster care where we know, you know, that is sometimes a super dangerous place as well, depending on who your carers are. So just a fucked up situation. But what about your grandparents through all of this? Where have they been? Why don't they take you? What's the situation with them? So because my mom went to them and was living with them, they, they wouldn't be able to take us unless they had her leave and she needed to rehabilitate and fight to earn her rights back as a parent. At the time, um, when you're in witness protection, if anyone finds out where you are, they immediately move you. So even when family members that did care tried to find where we were, we would be moved in the middle of the night. So not only as a little girl did I not know that my environment was not normal, but then I was ripped away from the only person that, I mean, I idolized my mom at that time because I was trying to protect her, right, as a child. 
and then feeling like they took that away. And then on top of that, any time someone found where we were, it would be an abrupt, you know, um, shift in the middle of the night, ripped out of bed and put in another vehicle and taken to a completely different strange place. During that time, my sister and I were separated. They tried to keep us together, but there's not many foster homes that can take siblings, especially when they already have are at full capacity. These are things I didn't understand as a child, but later on came to know those things. So in my book, I write about them in broad detail with like the raw, explicit moments that as a child, I experienced even in those environments. How many homes, foster homes, were there all up and over how many years? So I was in nine different foster homes. And then I was also in juvenile hall for a short period of time when they didn't have a transition home for me. And it was not until I was about 10 years old that my mom was able to earn her rights back as a a parent. And I was able to move back in with her. In those nine homes, did you experience any abuse? Yes. And then this abuse, um, it's interesting. My sister and I were separated, so she experienced different types of abuse than I did. Um, In my experience, um, one of the places that I was able to to live was with an aunt. And this aunt um, was not was uh, an aunt by marriage. And um, my mom's brother was in the hospital. He was um, diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she had a method of cruel and unusual punishment that she just didn't know how to deal with my behavior. And as a child, when you experience that kind of trauma, you are in... um, like almost like a a different reality. So you don't understand even why you're being punished because no one's there to stop and explain to you what you're doing that's different. Right. But one of her measures of punishment was um, humiliation, um, isolation, physical and verbal abuse. So there was many other challenges after my first, you know, experience leaving and getting out of that environment that then I, I went straight back into other environments that were also unhealthy. But I think what hurt me the most was the humiliation that impacted a lot of my journey from that moment on. Do you mind if we talk about that? No, I don't mind. I think that there's a lot we could learn about that, especially around connecting with children and I, I, people listening may be doing things that are slightly shaming or humiliating and I think it could be really helpful to know what happened and the impacts it had on you. When you're a child that experiences any type of trauma, um, 
you become hypersensitive in the sense that you actually can feel emotions of other people around you because you have this hypersensitivity to um, pain, emotion, right? Like any type of violence. At this point, I was about, gosh, I think I was probably nine. And I, I believe I was playing in the bathroom. I was supposed to be taking a shower and I found the mouthwash under the sink. So I started doing commercials in the mirror with the mouthwash while the shower was running. <laughs> I had tried to take off my shirt, my shirt, but it got stuck on around my head. I don't know if you remember when you're a kid and your shirt gets stuck on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wearing it, my shirt as my hat and I had fully undressed, but my panties were around my ankles while I was dancing, um, in front of the mirror. What I didn't realize is how long I had been um, in the bathroom with the running water. And when my aunt uh, entered into the bathroom and realized that I had not gotten into the shower yet, I turned and hid the mouthwash behind my back. Now, granted, I'm standing in front of a giant mirror. So (laughs) I um, to say I was caught red-handed would have been the best explanation. And then she asked what I was doing, and I said nothing. I lied. Um, And she grabbed me by the arm, and she took me in front of the bay window that faced the street, and she made me stand in front of the bay window with my shirt on my head and my panties around my ankles. And during that specific day, it was a day that my cousin who was a teenager at the time and his friends were moving things in and out of the house and they would snicker and pass as I stood there naked with my shirt on my head and my panties. Did she know where you had come from? She did. It's interesting. I, I describe it in my book um, and how I describe the relationship with her. And I have a lot of empathy for her. She was, she took in two children that had been in extreme trauma. She took my sister in at that time too. She had two children of her own, a teenage daughter and a teenage son. And her husband was in the hospital, my uncle. She probably had a lot of chaos and I did not make it any easier because of the trauma I experienced. I had a lot of behavioral problems and there was a certain point where she just did not know what to do with me. Um, So I understand from that perspective that she was potentially trying to find a way to get through to me because I had become so numb that nothing she you know she could spank me and it didn't even I didn't even flinch because I had experienced so much pain that I had been numb to it so there was a part of me as an adult that understands not excuses what she does 
but understands that in a place of desperation that she didn't know what to do and she chose the wrong path. She chose a lot of bad decisions, but that doesn't make her bad. It just made her decisions bad at that time. You are fucking incredible to have that kind of insight and wisdom and grace. Oof. It's, you know, I, I, and I understand what you're saying and I, and I get all of the variables, but it just, to have you understand and not excuse it is, shows a lot about your healing and a lot about your character. Can we talk about when your mom got you back? Were you relieved and happy to be with her or was it complicated did you feel abandoned and betrayed what was it like for you at 10 and your and your sister at 15 now the interesting part about that is my sister and I had very different responses my sister did feel abandoned did feel unprotected unsafe whereas I had a very deep relationship with my mother in the the sense of that it was almost like I could hear her praying or I could hear her talking to me even if we were thousands of miles apart like it didn't matter I could hear her so it was this unusual um, experience to go back with her but it was something that I had longed for that I had dreamed about I prayed for Whereas for my sister, there was still a lot of anger and resentment. And, you know, she had not been able, especially as a teenager, you can imagine she was 15. You know, she was in a much different headspace than I was at 10. So I approached it like this was, you know, the answer to my prayers. Now, my mom completely turned her life around. She, um, You know, she went back to school. She earned her rights back as a parent. She, um, you know, got her nursing degree, all of these things. Like she just, it was a thousand times different and it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see how far she had come. During the time that I lived with my aunt, we did have short visitation. It was supervised um, and it was very sporadic because if I was in trouble, then I couldn't see her. You know, that was one of the punishments. So I was, I was honestly longing for that moment. Now, my sister did not feel the same way. She actually left and went back to live with my aunt. But the relationship between my sister and my aunt was much different because my okay. sister was more compliant. She complied and she listened and she followed rules. And whereas I was very um, hyperactive and rambunctious and rebellious and all of those things. Sure. Different ages as well, you know. So, but what I did though is I, I did not realize that I was so far gone by that point. I basically had 
so many experiences between those those five years that by the time my mom did earn her rights back as a parent, as much as I wanted to be there, there was something inside of me that was pushing me away. And so by the time I was 15, um, I left home and I lived on the streets and I enrolled myself into a high school. I started to abuse drugs um, and I slept, you know, in abandoned houses and park benches and then would sneak in the gym of the school locker room in the morning, get ready and go to school and pretend like I was a normal teenager. How long did that last? So at that time, um, it lasted almost about a year and a half. And my mom, I know you're thinking like, well, what did your mom do? She worked all this time to get you back and then you left. Um, my mom knew by this point, because this point had been, you know, several years later, that there was nothing that she could say or do. I was determined to, to live on my own. I didn't need anyone. I would take care of myself. And that was the mentality that I had. And so there was nothing that she could do. And unfortunately, I definitely look back at those moments. And, and I have a daughter who's 17, by the way. And I feel like my heart would be just ripped out. So I can't imagine what I did to my mother after she worked so hard. But also, it's the damage is done, right? Like yeah. a decade's worth of damage imprinted on a child. Of course, you believe you have only yourself to rely on. Like it's, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, it's sad for her that you weren't in your healing or your development through trauma enough to get where she was at like you were kind of on different pages but you only knew how to survive by yourself so I mean I get it. it it's almost it feels safer it feels more comfortable for you to stay at abandoned houses than it is to be struck with some kind of normality right? Like normalcy and love would feel so foreign and so deeply uncomfortable when you've had the childhood you have had. And, and unfortunately, in my moment of rebellion, um, I also didn't recognize the additional trauma I would cause in the sense of putting myself in vulnerable situations at such a young age. And so that opened up a, even more doors of, you know, violence and sexual violence and experiences that I had living on the streets and, you know, struggling with addiction. Um, for some reason, I did have a determination to finish school. <laughs> like, I don't Incredible. know. In my mind, I was determined to, to almost prove everyone wrong. I know mm -hmm. that sounds weird, but at the time, I, I had three jobs, and I would take the bus 
to each job. And then I would find a place to sleep that night if I'd ran out of friends. And then I would, you know, I would go to school the next day and do it all over again. What drug was it? At the time, I, um, I was using meth. And in my mind, that was my only survival tool. Because in order for me to stay up and find a place to stay, in order for me to get through my homework and to get to the three jobs that I had at the time, I needed to be alert. And so in my mind, I justified it. How long did that addiction last? It, it lasted from... Yeah, so I left right before my 16th birthday. Odd that the numbers seem to align in that way. And I graduated at 17, and I stopped using at 18. Oof. I know, I'm just a mess over here. <laughs> you are not. You are, you are a survivor. You are just a survivor. Like, who does that to themselves? <laughs> okay, so... You've mentioned court a couple of times. Where is your dad throughout this 10-year period of when you left? Where is he? Has he been persecuted? Is he in jail? Like, where is he then and where is he now? So I believe um, he was only incarcerated, um, I believe, under seven years. And um, Wow. I know. So when I had moved back in with my mom, um, shortly, just a few years after, he was um, released from prison. And I remember that night because my grandfather, we were living with my grandparents at the time. I believe, if I remember correctly, he something happened at the door. I don't know what quite happened because I was still sleeping. It was the middle of the night. And I just remember my grandfather sitting on the porch with a shotgun. And remember, we, we live in California. So this is not like the kind of place you sit on the porch with a shotgun. <laughs> um, maybe in, you know, you know, the Southern States, but not in uh, California. But he, I just remember peeking out the window and seeing him just on the porch, just waiting. And after that night, we never heard from, um, my, my biological father's name is Vince. We never heard from him again. Now as a teenager, being, going through the experiences of trying to understand your identity and um, curiosity, I did find him on Megan's Law and I was able to basically find all of the information as to where he was living. Uh, he lived in Long Beach for um, Long Beach, California, which is probably about 40 miles away from where we were located for several years and then moved to Florida. Um, and then he died um, of heart disease when I was 29 and I'm 43. So it was several years ago. And that is when one of my um, other sisters that I didn't really know about um, reached out to me. And then I also found out that I have 
three sisters from my biological father that I've met since then. Were they abused? No. So one of them got out before the abuse, which is the oldest one. My biological father was 19 years older than my mom. So the oldest daughter that he had was the same age as my mom. Wow. And yeah, I know. Um, She got out before any of the abuse started and her mom got her out, protected her, got her away from that. And they kind of stayed in hiding together. The other, uh, uh, one of the other sisters, um, she actually was adopted, put up for adoption. So she had no idea who her mother or father were until later in life. And then um, the one that would be closest to my age, actually her mother never told her who her father was. And she found out on her own. It's like the the movie trilogy just continues, right? It's just like another... And then it gets worse after that. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my kids joke. They say, um, so your satanic father, he put a curse on you, basically. <laughs> so your life, because we're at 45 minutes and we haven't even gotten into your adult life yet. No, that is a whole nother. I think we need to do part two because let's just – dot point it okay let's not go into detail but let's give some like structure into where we go next time so we're now post high school what are the things that happen between then and now where we're sitting today pregnant by 21 and the father um denied my son and told me to abort him, and I chose not to. Then, as a single mother, I I married um, after meeting someone for just a few months, and that was a disaster. (laughs) And then from there, when I got out of that marriage and finally found what I thought love was. I was married for 10 years now with my son and my daughter and a blended family. And my husband struggled with mental health issues, uh, suicidal tendencies, and um, addiction. But on the outside, he was very charismatic and um, magnetic. So Mm. I hid a lot of that behavior During that time, we started, I started the agency, so a a marketing and advertising agency, and he worked within it. He struggled with infidelity on multiple occasions, and I tried to hide that from the children and our family and our business because of how that would impact us. And so by the time I found the courage to leave, um, he committed suicide. Ugh. 
because he knew you were going to leave or because of his own internal battles? His own internal battles. I had um, left in October of 2019 and by March of 2020, he took his life. So this is recent. Mm -hmm. Did you find him? No. Um, He did it in front of the police officers, but we said we were doing bullet points. So I can't can't bullet point. I can't bullet point now. (laughs) I can't bullet point now. I was like, I was trying to give you the bullet points and not all the details. Because that was another 10 years of my life. And to backtrack a little bit, the um, two weeks after we were married, we were together for two years. And we just got back from our honeymoon. And it was a road trip with the three kids because we had just blended the family. And two weeks after we got back, I was working in my office and um, it was during lunch hour and a woman walked into my office and described my house and described my kids and said that she'd been with my husband for a year. And I still lasted 10 years after that one. Like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment. I just, I, I honestly believed in for a long time that the more I sacrificed, the more good would come or the more worthy I would be of love. And that ties in to the sexual sacrifice that I was as a child. And I didn't recognize that until I started writing my book. I can see, I can see it when... Mm, it's such a blueprint, isn't it? Like they say that a child's neurological pathways, their blueprint is created by the age of seven, how they are in the world as adults. It just, it makes sense to me. You know, it's like, I mean, infidelity is bad, but how bad is it when I've had to go through all of that stuff? You know, like he still loves me. He's still trying. It's, I, I get it. I get the, I get it so much. We have, a ch- we have a family together. I really want this. I want a family unit. I want a wholeness. We just got married. How do I tell people this? Then it leans into humiliation. Humiliation. What do people think? Mm-hmm. I, you know, all of these patterns as a child showed up in my marriage, but in different ways. So I didn't recognize them. We have to do part two because there's just too much. There's too much here. Too much. Now you know why I wrote a book. I mean, it was just. <laughs> I know. Because I was like, I just need to let go. I got to heal from this stuff. We haven't, when we haven't even touched on that, that is the biggest part for me is the healing and kind of this insight that you have and this wisdom and this grace and this forgiveness and this empathy that is part two as well we'll definitely do the husband and the suicide and the impact on the kids and the the healing and all of that I haven't even talked about your mum and your relationship like so let's do that 
in part two because we must. There's too much. Are you willing to do that with me? Of course. Oh, my. Can I just ask you, as it is, because you are – you – look very put together and you you present beautifully and you speak beautifully and you're intelligent how is it sharing this today and how is it writing the book and what does it feel like for you now does it feel empowered like taking back this on your own terms or does it feel confronting It feels empowered um, and weightless. So for so long, I held on to or hid uh, the things that were happening to me or around me in order to protect everyone else. And what I didn't recognize until later is that all of that was actually, when you hide those things, it, it rots and decays inside of you. And I thought that if I was in counseling or I thought that if I was writing in journals and doing all these things that I was healing. And what I recognized is you can't heal when you're in the cycle of hiding, masking, numbing. All that cycle is, is putting you right back in that same place. And the moment that I left and decided to find the courage to step out and stop isolating and stand in my fear and own it, and own my story in a way that's raw and unrelenting. I don't, I don't sugarcoat anything when I talk about my story because I have made mistakes And so in order to face all of that, you have to have a sense of courage and you have to have forgiveness, not only for others, but for yourself. And you have to be able to have enough self-awareness to let go. And then that's when the freedom of that weightless feeling and that vibrancy comes alive. But if we're faking, forcing, masking, and numbing, All of that is going to continue to rot and decay inside of us. Everyone, stay tuned for part two with Serena. You are incredible, 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 incredible woman. Thank you so much for being with us on The Deep today. I am honored and I am just so thankful for you that you're doing this for other people so that they can hear these stories. So I appreciate Mm. you. Ditto. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. 
It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you'll hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.